And welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Sonny, them take a look at the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. And Dan, I've got something for you that sounds like a joke, but it's really not. It goes something like this, something that I picked up on that you wrote um, in a recent article on the ChristianPost.com. Saul of Tarsus, Martin Luther, and three Catholic priests. And I read that, and immediately it kind of sounds like, you know, a joke. Hey, they walk into a bar, and then what happens, you know? Exactly. But when you take a look at these individuals, you know, first off, some people might be asking, who's Saul of Tarsus? Because maybe they don't put the connection that he's the Apostle Paul before he became yeah. Paul. Obviously, yeah. Martin Luther uh, is not to be confused with Martin Luther King Jr., which in, in uh, ironically, in January, which recently passed, Martin Luther King Day, uh, some mm-hmm. people I've talked to kind of get them confused. It's it's kind of ironic that way that they get them confused, and it's hard right. to uh, you know it's hard to understand why. But they're both kind of revolutionaries in a way, as they both yeah. uh, you know made change, affected change in their particular field, so to speak. And then yeah. um, three Catholic priests, and so I thought uh, what we could do is kind of take a look at these three entities. Mm-hmm. and kind of take a look at them and see how they, they connect and what we can learn from them as we kind of continue this conversation about uh, about religion, about the afterlife, about what it is that we're doing here on earth and what it is that we're being taught from religious leaders and maybe what our thoughts are, you know, as, as, as we talk with other people about what they believe and kind of see where it all intersects and, and uh, kind of have some... Uh, some good conversation about it because I think it's kind of interesting because you've got um, today in society, you've got, you know, a lot of different religions that are kind of believing a lot of different things. But when it comes down to the, the very meat, like the one or two main points about a religion, it has to do with the afterlife. You know, it has to do with how do we go to the beyond? Is it the great beyond? Is it heaven? Is it, you know, some other place? Do we just poof and disappear? And so, um, anyway, so I thought this might be something that we can kind of learn from, from these individuals and kind of, kind of talk about it here today. No, that sounds terrific, Son. And it is interesting when you look at, you know, Saul Tarsus, for example, who, uh, basically grew up about 600 miles north of where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, Saul grew up as a devout Jew there in Tarsus. And he had some of the best possible uh, religious training available uh, in that day. And uh, his, fam- his family was, was very well known, and, and he became very well known. And um, he really made a name for himself as a, as a Pharisee, as a uh, religious leader, and even someone who started persecuting uh, the Christians because they were uh, proclaiming uh, the good news that, that Jesus was the Messiah, and of course, um, most of the the Jewish people there in that day, um, like today, uh, were not accepting of that. Um, now, of course, Jesus's uh, you know followers there and his his uh, inner inner circle. I mean, these were uh, these were Jewish men who did accept that, but but obviously Saul of Tarsus did not, and so uh, Saul of Tarsus, uh, Martin Luther, and then the three Catholic priests that I referenced in the article. You know, the thing that all five of those men have in common is that they were uh, seeking to uh, establish a relationship with God through their efforts, through their works. 
Um, obviously, you know, Saul is a Jew, uh, Martin Luther as an Augustinian monk uh, some 500 years ago. And then these three Catholic priests that I referenced in the article, um, these are more recent uh, I- examples, like in the last, you know, 50 to 75 years. But I, I, uh, I pointed to the, these three priests and uh, really former Catholic priests because they left the Catholic Church. But while they were priests, they were doing something very similar to what Saul was doing before his conversion and what Martin Luther was doing before his conversion. And that is seeking to make themselves righteous in God's eyes. So as we get into this today, it'll be, uh, be really good to kind of flesh out, um, you know, how, what, what made the change? Uh, what brought about the, uh, the revolution in their, in their soul that, that, that made them stop relying on works, their own works to be saved? And so I, I'm looking forward to this discussion, Son. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, I want to start off with uh, Saul of Tarsus, because as you mentioned, you know, he was a uh, devout religious figure, and he was basically persecuting the Christians, like you mentioned, and has this interaction, you know, with, with Jesus, with God. He's on the road to Damascus, and then all of a sudden a bright light shines down on him and people might be familiar with uh, the term the road to Damascus. And so then, mm-hmm. so then Saul is now having this exchange and in mm-hmm. acts, it talks about Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And this is what I find interesting. So, so mm-hmm. Saul is a religious figure. Like you mentioned, he's highly trained, probably knows the Torah, probably is very educated and he's out persecuting the Christians. And, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul replies, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so right there, even in all his education, religious education, in that exchange right there, Saul did not even know who Jesus was. You know, he had no connection with that. And I find that pretty interesting because it's it's a reflection, I, I think, on today when a lot of people have a lot of religious education or a lot of you know scriptural perhaps what they think is an education in the bible or some theology but yet they really don't know who jesus is and if jesus yeah. came to them they would be in a similar i think fashion and, I, and we all have to check ourselves to make sure that we're not saul but i think there's a lot of people today that if god and jesus confronted us today we would be like who are you and yeah. we'd get the response i'm jesus and we're like no way dude i, I really you know, because I think we're losing our way when it comes to religion and theology because we don't know Jesus, we know religion. Yes, yes. And, and what often happens right along with that, Son, is that people tend to put a lot of stock into what their own particular religious leaders are telling them. And this, of course, has been the major problem among the Jewish people for the past 2,000 years. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, just as the the Pharisees in, in Jesus's day were so anti-Christ, um, that is, uh, they absolutely refused to even come close to the idea that Jesus might be the Messiah. They, they flat out rejected it. Um, and, and so in their hardness of heart, even though these People, God's chosen people, you would have thought would have been at the front of the line to welcome Jesus. 
like his own disciples did, like those own uh, Jewish individuals did who accepted Christ. But the religious leaders, they, they were focused so much on their traditions. Um, and, and, and we see that, you know, even with a lot of people today in religious circles, be it Catholic or Protestant, anytime people get all caught up in their traditions and, and, and their religious organization, um, they fail to understand the gospel. And, and that, of course, is what Saul of Tarsus uh, failed to see until he was converted. And this same man, this really he was a terrorist, uh, you know, uh, of Christians. Uh, he, he was going around um, helping to hold them off to, to prison. Uh, he was there uh, when, uh, when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned. I mean, he was participating in that. Um, so, you know, how do you go from that to then? Um, you know, the greatest apostle who, who wrote so much of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and, and Paul would then go on to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of them who believe. And interestingly then, Son, um, you know, about 500 years ago, then Martin Luther would be reading uh, some of Paul's writing and God's word, uh, particularly Romans 1.17 where it says the righteous will live by faith. And God opened up Martin Luther's eyes, that Augustinian monk, who, like Saul of Tarsus before him, was just just going at works righteousness with all of his might. He was, he was trying to earn his way. He was putting himself through self-inflicted uh, physical uh, punishments, hoping that that could help his soul, um, going through all sorts of things. But when he read The Righteous Shall Live by Faith, again, written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God opened his eyes to see that salvation does not come by works, but rather uh, through Christ alone, through faith in Christ. As Paul would write in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And you know, son, we've talked about it before, I think many times here on the podcast, and that is it boggles our minds as believers why anyone and how anyone could turn down a free gift that is as marvelous as salvation. I mean, um, I don't know anybody who would turn down $1,000 if it was offered freely. But why is it that so many people turn down eternal life in paradise. And as we've said before, I mean, one reason is pride. Man in his pride, he's too proud of his religious traditions. He's too proud of his works righteous uh, efforts and, and attempts to gain heaven. Um, and, and ultimately, his, his, there are scales essentially on man's spiritual eyes. And, and the Bible says the God of this age, small g, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So when... You know, when, when Saul of Tarsus was there having that dramatic event that you uh, spoke about a moment ago, Son, there on the Damascus Road, you know, the scales were literally, you know, coming off of his eyes, both spiritual uh, and, and then even physically, um, you know, it, it, his eyes were being opened. And, and so it was just, it was a miracle. It, it takes a miracle to be converted. Um, you cannot work your way. Um, into salvation, um, you cannot, you know, works will never produce faith, okay? Now, 
faith will lead to works every time. Christian faith always leads to good works and, and to works that God accepts as good. But works will never produce faith. And, and Martin Luther discovered that. Saul of Tarsus discovered that. Uh, those three Catholic priests I referenced in the article discovered that. Um, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of God. So the Holy Spirit creates faith as an individual repents and believes the good news. And this, of course, is what God did for Saul, turning him into the Apostle Paul, for Martin Luther, for those three Catholic priests. And today, sadly, son, there are many Protestants and Catholics who sit in church every week, or maybe don't go to church. Maybe they're Protestant or Catholic, they don't attend. But um, there are many in both categories who are still living under the delusion that their works are going to get them into heaven. So um, there are a lot of people that need to come to learn what, what those men I referenced in the article have learned about the good news of the gospel. Yeah, Dan, it's no coincidence that the idea of the eyes, the vision, you know, Saul with the scales and falling off, or, you know, Martin Luther being maybe blinded by his religious teachings from, like, you know, the Pope or, you know, whatever religious uh, scholar he was sitting under, and then he has a, a revelation. It's like he sees the light, so to speak, you know, because they had this they were, they both were pretty adamant and pretty strong believers in their religion. And oh then, my goodness, yes. you know, and so we're not talking about these wishy washy people. We're not talking about people that were no. just kind of on the fray and like, nah, maybe I believe, maybe I don't. And, and very educated people. Yes. And that's the thing I think that really is to be hammered home is the academia aspect of it. You know, they yeah, were studying, yeah. studying, studying, and yet through their mm-hmm. studying, even the three priests that we're going to get to in a moment, they were studying, yeah. studying, studying in whatever it is that, you know, they were learning at the time, and yet they still realized that what they were studying was wrong and eventually still found that Jesus was the way. Isn't that something, Son, how, you know, the Bible shows us over and over again how, how God's ways are higher than man's ways and, and really how the, the, the wisdom of man is foolishness in God's sight. And, and, and Paul even says, you know, the foolishness of God is, is greater than, uh, than man's strength. Just if I use a play on words there, just simply meaning that, that man is so far behind God in terms of, of, of knowing what he ought to know. But um, it's just so uh, incredible that you can have a religious scholar of, you know, might be a Jewish scholar, Catholic scholar, Protestant scholar. You can have a Jewish, uh, I mean, a, a religious scholar who is a million miles from God because he or she is relying upon their efforts to be saved. But then you have this little child who takes Jesus in his word and has literally childlike faith. You know, they, they don't have all the, the head knowledge about all the things that these scholars have, but they know this. They know that Jesus loves them and that Jesus died for them. And as I've shared before in, in, in other podcasts, I mean, one of the greatest joys that my wife Tammy and I have had with our four kids, who are now all in their 20s, um, one of the greatest joys is when they were toddlers uh, to be teaching them about Jesus and his love for them and how he died for them. And, and, you know, I mean, when our kids were probably three years old, you know, we could talk to them and say, well, now, hey, what did, what did Jesus do for us? Well, you know, he, he died for our sins on the cross. And, and so I'm not saying that even at three, our kids fully understood, obviously, everything that you and I understand about the gospel, but um, they understood the basic message that God loves them, Christ died for them, 
And um, by God's grace, son, there's never been a time in any of their lives where they've ever deviated uh, from that. And that's only the, 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 the grace of God. Um, but, um, you know, it's just amazing that religious scholars with all of their learning, like Saul Carson's had, like Martin Luther, the monk had before he was saved, um, like those Catholic priests had with all of their education. Uh, it, it's just incredible to me that, that so many people miss the simplicity of the gospel um, because they're so doggone determined to earn their way. Uh, man's natural assumption is I have to do more good than bad. I have to jump through these religious hoops. Um, you know, Paul refers to himself uh, that when he was, when he was Saul, he, he had what he referred to as legalistic righteousness. Uh, in, in other words, um, he made sure to cross every T and dot every I. And, and today's sign, you know, you'll have, you'll have Jewish people who will go out of their way to make sure they try to do everything that is kosher. They'll go out of their way to make sure they try to do everything that follows um, just the different traditions and the special days of the year in their religion. And you see the same thing in some Protestant and Catholic circles where, where, where people are so focused on the tradition, but there are so many in these groups that have not yet come to place their faith like a child in what Jesus did for them on the cross. And all you'd have to do to have them just basically um, demonstrate that, son, you could ask them. I mean, hey, if you were to die today, why do you think God should let you into heaven? And then just let them talk. And what people who are enslaved by works righteousness will say, son, to that question, well, you know, I'm doing this or I'm doing that or I'm trying my best. Um, you know, I'll even ask people, son, if I, if I talk to them out on the street somewhere or somebody I just meet, and I'll, and I'll ask them that question, uh, maybe in a park or wherever. Um, uh, and, and then I'll ask them that question. And then I'll say to them, you know, I'll say, hey, I know we haven't, you know, we don't know one another. We just met right now. Um, I guess, you know, I've told you I'm a pastor. But do you have any idea what I would say, knowing that I'm a Christian pastor? Because we've heard what you would say, which is, you know, they're pointing to their works. Do you have any idea what I would say? And the interesting thing, Son, is yet I, I've never that I can remember ever had someone say to me um, in that situation, well, I think you would say that, well, you're, you're, you're going to heaven because Jesus died for you on the cross. So they truly don't seem to grasp any aspect of the gospel. It's not that they necessarily understand the gospel and reject it. It's that they have no clue. Um, they don't even know how a Christian is claiming to be saved. Now, now there are, you know, certainly a number of unbelievers who do seem to grasp what the gospel is, and they just flat out reject it. But, but a lot of the people I've talked to, when I say to them, what do you think I would say in response to that question? It's just amazing. Well, I, I don't know. And I don't know what you would say. Uh, well, I'll tell you. And then I tell them what I would say, and that is that even though I don't deserve to go into heaven, Lord, um, I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins, and that you, Father, you sent your only Son to die for me. And, and that's where my confidence for heaven is based in his work, not in my work. And so what I just expressed there, Son, that's Christian faith. It wasn't original with me or you. Um, it wasn't original with Martin Luther. It wasn't original with the Apostle Paul. It was original with Jesus, who revealed the gospel when he came here to earth to die for our sins. He revealed the gospel. In fact, that's even what Paul says. Um, 
you know, he says, no one taught him this. He says, but it was revealed to me. And it takes revelation by the Holy Spirit through the simple message of the gospel. And when your eyes are open and and then you start to put your faith in Christ alone, uh, it's amazing then what you start to see about heaven, about your sin, and about how, you know, you couldn't do anything um, to get to heaven. And one last thing I'll say right here on this song, and that is, I even make a point in that article that we're talking about today, where I said, you could combine the good works of a million people, but even that would not be enough to keep one lost soul out of hell. You know, um, I, I think about all this talk about in the Catholic Church with, you know, praying for people who died in purgatory and doing all of these things and jumping through all these hoops. Well, let me say, son, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, or something else, all right, Jewish, whatever you might be, the good works of a million people. And when I say good works, now I'm talking about just, you know, noble deeds that, that people do, helping out their neighbor, you know, working at the soup kitchen, you know, uh, giving a donation to the Salvation Army or helping out. Okay, take a million good works, you know, forgiving someone who's wronged you. You take a million good works and all of, the, all of man's good works, those one million, would still not be enough to keep one soul out of hell because only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away sin. And the only way that happens is through faith in Jesus. And so what I like to encourage people to say is, hey, just call upon the Lord. Just simply say, hey, wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. Wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. And when you say that, my friend, in faith, you know what's going to happen? Your sins are going to be forgiven. You're going to be saved, redeemed, justified, born again. And, and you will be um, made a child of God through faith, but your works will never, ever get it done. Now, once you're saved, yes, do all the works in the world. Now your works are pleasing to God. Now those good works are things that your faith will produce and God does want you to do. And yes, the Bible says faith without works is dead. Meaning if it's an insincere faith, if you're not really saved, you know, um, then you have a quote unquote dead faith. But, but a living faith in Christ will always produce good works but we're not saved by our works. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. Dan Dozell with me as we're talking about uh, Saul of Tarsus, Martin Luther, and three Catholic priests. What do they all have in common? And that's what we're getting to when it comes to our conversation here today. And, you know, Dan, after talking about, you know, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, Martin Luther, who basically led the uh, Reformation, not the Revolution, the Reformation, um, and then you mentioned three Catholic priests, one of them, Joseph Tremblay. And again, the common thread to me with these five people is the fact that they're highly educated. Uh, mm-hmm. They were, um, you know, I guess you could say well-respected in their fields of study. Sure, sure. You know, uh, yeah, Joseph yeah. Tremblay was uh, born in Canada, 1924. He was an ordained priest in Rome, Italy, sent to Bolivia, Chile, served for 13 years. But this is what he had to say. Again, keep in mind, these are educated people that have been um, educated in their faith, in this, play, in this case, the Catholic faith here with Joseph Tremblay. They've studied, they've uh, researched, you know, they've shared this uh, religion, this theology with other people. So it's not just people that are just kind of on the fence, like I said earlier. These are people that are well-educated and well-entrenched in what they believe. 
And so he goes on to say, my theology has taught me salvation is by works and sacrifices. My theology gives me no assurance of salvation. The Bible offers me that assurance. And so he goes on to say that he's been trying to save himself by his works, but was pushed to do good works to merit my salvation. So here again, Joseph Tremblay, a priest, the Catholic Church. Again, he was a priest for 13 years. And Mm -hmm. he came to the realization that what he was studying and what he was believing and what he was living wasn't, in his case or in his mind, the truth. You know, he was trying to work his way into heaven, and then he had the the, uh, revelation that, wait a minute, this is wrong, and he had a change of heart and realized that the Bible is the only way, you know, to meet Jesus and then from Jesus to go from there. And so, again, here's another person who is sitting there believing one thing and then comes to the mm-hmm. realization and has a change of heart. And you find this trend kind of going, you know, mm-hmm. as we talk with some of the other guys that, uh, you know, we'll get here like Bartholomew Brewer, you know, another ordained Roman Catholic priest from Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., served in California. He was a Navy uh, chaplain for the Roman Catholic Church or, you know, Roman Catholic chaplain. Then he gets married and discovers God's righteousness through conversations with his wife and other Christians. And then Brewer says, I finally understood that I'd been relying on my own righteousness and religious efforts and not upon the completed and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the thing, one thing to take note is that he says, I have been relying on my own. And if we, in the modern church, we could insert ourselves. I am relying on my own righteousness and religious efforts and not on sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. You know, we, we, we in society today, it's all about we can do it. We want to handle it. We want to take care of it. We want to be That's in charge. Right. We want to control it. You know, if we don't understand what the Bible says, I'm going to interpret it the way I want it to. If I disagree with yeah. it, I'm going to interpret it the way I want it to. It's I, I, I. And here mm-hmm. Brewer is specifically saying, I had been relying on my own XXX or dot, 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 but I realized that's wrong. And the completed and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the Amen. only thing. Yeah, absolutely, son. Would you mind reading, son, the rest of the Brewer quote? Because I think it, um, yeah, and then uh, I'd like to say a couple things, but it, it's such a powerful uh, comment that he makes. Yeah, so again, he, he says, I finally understood that I'd been relying on my own righteousness and religious efforts and not upon the completed and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic religion had never taught me that our own righteousness is fleshly and not acceptable to God, nor that we need to trust in Christ's righteousness alone. During all those years of being in the monastery, I relied on sacraments of Rome to give me grace to save me. The completed, yeah, I tell you, son, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and then it goes on, you know, the completed and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what it came down to him. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely, Son. Um, yeah, thank you for uh, sharing that quote uh, by uh, Bartholomew Brewer because I think that is as powerful of a quote from a former Catholic priest that a person is ever going to find. I mean, he nails the gospel in his statement there. I mean, the, the, the completed and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Now, if that doesn't explain the difference between what Saul and Paul believe between what Luther the monk and Luther the Christian believe, and, and what these former Catholic priests 
and and now um, believers in Jesus, uh, you know, have come to accept. I don't know what does. And so, if a person today is a um, is a Jewish rabbi or a Protestant pastor or a Catholic priest, um, all of their learning, all of their education, all of their seminary training, uh, you know, none of it will save their soul. Um, their label, their religious label, will not save their soul. The only thing that will save their soul is the is the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's all you need. Jesus said it is finished. And when you place your faith in his work on the cross, you receive complete and total forgiveness. I mean, think about it, son. If people would only think through their, you know, just think through logically what they're believing, what they're saying when they claim that, you know, your works can get you to heaven. If they would stop and think about that, they, they would hopefully quickly come to realize, but how many works are enough? I mean, you know, who's to say that I've done enough works? Because anybody who's honest with himself or herself will know how many times they fall short. Now, I suppose you really have to be living in delusion, almost like that rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day to think you've never sinned. I mean, Jesus pointed out the, uh, the commandments to that rich young ruler, and he made the astonishing statement, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So I suppose there are some people out there who are so just deluded that they actually believe they've never, they've never sinned. They've never broken one of the commandments. But, but the bottom line is we've all committed many sins. And James tells us whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So anybody who just is thinking, well, I'm going to work my way into heaven. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense, even just from a, I, I guess from a human perspective in the sense that, well, then tell me how many works are good enough. And in God's economy, in God's system of justice, you have to be perfect. Um, you have to, you, you cannot sin. God's not going to let sin into heaven. God's not go going to allow an unforgiven sinner into heaven. And God's not going to forgive a person's sins based on their efforts, their sincerity, their performance. Maybe they had a great day. Maybe they spent the whole day serving others. Um, but how many sins did they commit that day? Maybe they spent a month, a year, 10 years serving others. But how many sins did they commit that day? And that's why in Revelation, Sonia, it talks about um, the books and the book. Um, the, the books are going to be open and people will be judged according to what's in the books. Those who rely on their works, all of their sins are going to be listed in those books. And those sins will condemn them. They'll get no credit. They'll get no heaven. They'll get nothing for their quote-unquote good works. Only those whose names are in the book of life, the Bible says, uh, are those who will be saved, will not be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, how do you get your name in the book of life? You repent and you believe the good news. You become a Christian. How do you become a Christian? You turn to Jesus. You confess your sin to him. You trust him to forgive you. And you believe that, yes, it takes work to get into heaven, but not your work. It takes the work he completed on the cross. And that sacrifice, by the way, son, is not happening over and over again. No matter what a church might refer to the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice, no. Um, the Lord's Supper is, is a remembrance of the one-time sacrifice. It, it's not another sacrifice. Christ isn't being sacrificed over and over and over again. Uh, the Bible says Christ died for sins once for all. You know, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So when you quote there the former Catholic priest saying that he had been relying on 
really, uh, I think he might have even referred to the seven sacraments of Rome, um, you know, to save him. What he has come to realize is that he is now relying upon uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the difference right there. Am I relying on my traditions? Am I relying on my religious organization? And really, son, it comes down to, is my religious organization more important to me than the gospel? And, and the sad fact of the matter is that many people who would say, yes, it is, are people who obviously don't yet know the gospel. Because if they knew the gospel and they believed the gospel, it would blow their original theory out of the water. And, and that original theory that says, you know, my, my Jewish pedigree or my Catholic tradition or my Protestant affiliation uh, or my denominational label uh, will save me. It won't, my friend. It will not save you. The only thing that can save your soul is Christ's death on the cross. That's complete. What, what remains is this. You will either rely upon that or you will rely upon your works, your own deeds, or you may just rely on nothing. You may just say, hey, I'm just going to, you know, hope for the best, not worry about any of it. Well, then um, you're still going to go before God on Judgment Day. You're still going to be judged according to what's in the books. You might say to God on Judgment Day, but I didn't believe in any of that. Well, it's not going to matter because your sin of unbelief, all the other sins you've committed, you will be condemned for those sins. Now, God doesn't want that. He wants you to come to heaven. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So today, my friend, you can repent and believe. You can transfer your trust away from yourself and your works to Christ. And if you'll do that today, um, you will come to see that the truth of the gospel is, is just such a simple message, but your soul will be saved. And then John uh, would write, um, in First John five thirteen, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And and that's one thing that the one priest, uh, I think uh, Brewer, there, I think what he might have said there, fine in that quote, was that you know um, none of those things, or maybe it was the first uh, the first quote, um, Tremblay, none of these none of these things in my religion gave me the assurance of salvation. Okay, none of those things that I was following. And that's what you're going to find, my friend, if you put your hope in your religious organization, your traditions, your religious practices, your deeds, you will have no assurance of salvation because you won't be saved. Um, you, you won't be saved until you stop relying on yourself, you lay down your pride, and you tell the Lord, God, I can't save myself. Um, and, and, and if you'll learn today from Martin Luther, you won't have to put yourself through what he put himself through. If you'll learn today from Saul of Tarsus, you don't have to spend years or decades um, under the spiritual darkness of, of trying to uh, be righteous in your own eyes. So that, that's what it boils down to, uh, my friend. And, and today, you can put your faith in Christ, and you'll be glad that you did. Yeah, Dan. So we had you know Saul of Tarsus, who actually had a face-to-face -face with Jesus. Then you have you know Martin Luther— you have uh, Joseph Tremblay, who was the guy that was talking about his theology has taught him that, you know, basically there's no assurance of salvation because, you know, without the Bible. And then you go on and we talked about Bartholomew Brewer. And these guys, you know, well entrenched in their faith, their doctrine, their theology, but they didn't have that dramatic face to face with Jesus like Saul of Tarsus. And so how did they get there? And I think 
The third guy that you mentioned, Alexander Carson, I think best describes it. So he's a, an ordained uh, Roman Catholic priest from 1955. And he said this, and this is the key. The Holy Spirit led me to judge Roman Catholic theology by the standard of the Bible. Previously, I'd always judge the Bible by Roman Catholic doctrine and theology. So in order to learn the truth about God's righteousness, he kind of flopped it. But the whole point was that the Holy Spirit led him there. And that's what we have to rely on. We have to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if you judge, let's say, anything, and then you're going to judge it to the Bible, it's backwards. And you're going to be skewed in your thinking and your thoughts. You can take anything today. You can take any social justice. You can take any social welfare thing, any political thing. And if you can... And if you judge the Bible based by this, then you're going to have a skewed version of the Bible. And I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people try to compare, take transgender ideology. They try to compare it to the Bible, LGBTQ, whatever. They try to compare it and judge the Bible according to their standards. When in actuality, if you flip it and you take the Bible and you judge it, the world by Bible standards, you'll get a whole different perspective and it'll change your thinking because it's the exact opposite. You can't judge the Bible by world standards. You have to judge the world by the biblical standards that are written in the Bible. That's what Alexander Carson did. And he realized that by doing so, he was able to then learn the truth about God's righteousness. Yes, and when a person learns that truth, son, it's amazing then how the scales come off your eyes in some of these other areas that are so clear in Scripture. You know, um, if you look at the Bible, you see that fornication, adultery, homosexual behavior, that, that these are outside of God's will and God's design and God's plan. These are all sins. And, um, and, and, and so it becomes much clearer to you once you've accepted the gospel. But until you become a Christian— um, if you're living in spiritual darkness, then um, the most important issue, which is the salvation of your soul, um, it, 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 it's just going to follow then, Son, that, that many people who are living in that uh, deep, spiritual, spiritually dark place, that, that they will um, they'll convince themselves, well, I know I'm, I'm in this um, relationship with someone who's not my my spouse, but, um, you know, you, you can talk yourself into it. Or I know we're not married, but, um, you know, hey, I think God understands. Or, you know, I, I know that maybe in the old times, uh, you know, they didn't have, um, you know, same-sex relationships, but we're living in a new day. I mean, you can convince yourself um, in any of those areas. And, and by far, the biggest area there is fornication. The next would be adultery. Way, way, way down the line would be those who engage in homosexual behavior. But all three of those are outside of God's will. All three of those are sinful. For some reason, the media and the world is obsessed with that one that far fewer people engage in. And that's the one they're pushing and promoting. And, and, uh, and it's just very sad, son, that even, um, even uh, self-professing Christian denominations are caving on biblical sexuality uh, because they, they, they don't want to appear um, to be out of step with the world. Um, and they come up with all sorts of fancy reasons to, um, to convince themselves. But the bottom line is, um, you know, the Bible says a man reaps what he sows. And, and those who live for sin, 
those who commit their body for sin. And by the way, the Bible says, you know, there's only one sin against your body. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So whether it be fornication, which is by and large the biggest um, example there of, of people who are, are just, just causing great damage to their soul and their body, fornication. And then you've got adultery. Uh, far fewer people, but still plenty of people on the planet uh, who are engaging in that. And then far, far down the list, you got the homosexual behavior um, and people who are destroying their, their soul and their bodies uh, because in their minds, they believe that my way is better than God's way. Um, the Bible may say this, but um, I am going to go with what I believe is best. And so, you know, what, what you find a lot of times, Son, is people who are enslaved in one of those three areas of sexual immorality is, is that really um, what's needed is, is for a person to come to Jesus as a sinner, um, you know, enter into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, and then allow God to begin to help, help you um, to say no to ungodly desires. Because until you're saved, son, I mean, and even sometimes after a person's saved, I mean, they could become double-minded and, and, and deceived. I mean, look at King David, who convinced himself for a very short time that adultery with Bathsheba was okay. Well, he was miserable while he was doing it, because if you're a Christian and you're engaging in fornication or adultery or homosexual behavior, you're going to be miserable if you're a Christian. If you can do that and not be miserable, that is not a good indication of the Holy Spirit's living in you. And, 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 and I would say then fall on your knees, um, ask God to forgive you. Um, if you don't feel guilty for sexual morality or for other sin in your life, that's not a good sign that the Holy Spirit now is, is living um, within you. But, but by the same token, um, bring it to God. Confess your sins to God. Um, David ended up saying, create in me a clean heart, O God. I mean, I love that word there, create, son. David had so messed up his heart. Um, and he was originally, you know, he was a man after God's own heart. But when he chose to let sin in the door, you know, sin was crouching at his door, as it were, it desired to, to, uh, to master him, and it did. Okay, it did. Uh, just like we see back in, uh, in Genesis, you know, with, with Cain and Abel. But in the case of David, uh, he had sin crossing his door when he looked out on that other rooftop and he saw Bathsheba bathing, you know. And, and if he had put that sin uh, to bed, okay, in his mind, um, he would not have proceeded then to go to bed with her. But, but that's where the battle is. It, it's there in the early stages of, of, uh, of temptation. And, and so uh, if a person is engaged in sin, be it gossip, be it lying, uh, be it holding a grudge, be it sexual morality, be it greed, um, bring it to the Lord. Lay it down to the Lord. And anyone who professes, well, the Bible says this, on, um, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So we, we don't have the option as Christians saying, well, now that I'm saved, um, I'll just kind of take it day by day to see whether I'm going to give in to sin or not. Uh, and again, I'm talking about not deliberately, deliberately getting into it. Um, I mean, there are times that hasty sins crop up in our life. And, and, uh, but, but if a person is living in deliberate sin, um, that is a very, very dangerous place to be. Um, if, a, if, a, if a believer is living in deliberate sin the way David was for a short time, um, you're going to be miserable. And if you're not miserable, then you should really be worried. 
You know, if you are miserable, you're like, why am I doing this? It's not worth it. But if you're not miserable, you should really be worried because you may think you're safe. You may think you're safe, but if you can sin against God over and over again, not feel guilty about that, that's not a good sign at all. So pray and ask God to convict you of your sin. Pray and ask the Lord to do a deep work of repentance in your heart. Um, are you going against your conscience? Are you going against the word of God? Um, are you deliberately doing that? Then pray about it tonight before you go to sleep and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins and especially for my deliberate sins. I'm reminded of the psalmist song who said, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be innocent of great transgression. So the psalmist recognized, son, I mean, people might say, well, you know, sin is sin. And it's true in a way. But, but deliberate sin is far more damaging to the soul, to a person's um, connection to God. Um, deliberate sin is far more damaging. And by deliberate, I'm talking about premeditated. I'm talking about something you know it's wrong, you just keep doing it uh, over and over again. Now, on the other hand, son, there are obviously things that as Christians, uh, a person may have a struggle in an area. And, and maybe they've confessed that to God hundreds of times. But they're still fighting. They, you know, if you ask them, is it wrong? They'll say, yes, it's wrong. And I shouldn't be doing it. I don't want to be doing it. And that's a far cry, son, from these um, professing religious denominations. I mean, they make no bones, no, no bones about it. They'll come right out and say that something that is actually sexual immorality, such as, uh, you know, the blessing of a same-sex marriage, um, they'll make no bones about it. They'll come right out and say, well, that's no longer sinful. Oh, really? Uh so, well, you know, they're going to have to answer to God for that one day. And, and anybody who's following that advice on, um, boy, they are in a heap of trouble if they're taking the word. I mean, hey, you know, Saul was taking the word of his rabbis, right? Saul was taking the word of uh, Gamaliel, you know, you know the, the most famous uh, Jewish teacher of that day that, that really uh, tutored Saul. He was taking Gamaliel's uh, word for it. Um, I, I'm reminded of a relative of mine, and they have a lot of Jewish friends, and and he was telling me about this um, uh, Hasidic Jew he ran into in the streets of New York City, and somehow they started talking about eternity or heaven or something, and, and, and so my relative was like, you know, oh, he was so confident that, well, this was a Hasidic Jew, it's got to be true, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, how about the most famous Jew who's ever lived, you know? How about Jesus of Nazareth? You know, how about that Jewish uh, leader? Um, what did he say? He didn't say that you're going to just get to heaven any old way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there it is, son. That's the message people need. And if they're caught up in sin today, as we all can be, you know, we're all sinners, all right? But if you're caught up in sin today, my friend, um, get on your knees, repent of your sin. Bring it to the Lord. He will cleanse you. He's not going to hold it against you, but you've got to confess it. You've got to bring it to him. Whoever conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So you've got to confess it, but you've got to do more than what I'm afraid some people do in certain Protestant or Catholic churches, where, oh, well, I confess my sin. You know, uh, now I'm just going to go out and do it again. If that's your attitude, my friend, you've not confessed it biblically because you haven't renounced it. You have to let God give you a, a hatred for that thing where you truly are sorry about it. You don't want to do it again. And that's a work of God. So like I say, if you can sin against God and not feel guilty, um, you should really start to worry about the condition of your soul because that is not a good indication that God is living within you. 
Yeah, Dan, like it says in Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know, I think it's uh, something that we all need to reflect on and really kind of check ourselves daily because, you know, as you mentioned, are we, as a Christian faith, okay, regardless of what your belief is, as a Christian faith, are we going to listen to the teachers and the preachers of today who are going to tell us how and why and what we should do about Jesus? Or are we going to go to the source itself, the source himself, and go to Jesus and see what Jesus has to say? Are we going to check the leaders, the religious leaders of today, by what the Bible says? Or are we going to check the Bible by what the leaders say? And I think if you watch what the leaders say versus watch what the Bible says, going the route of what the Bible says is going to be a lot better for you, obviously, but yeah. it's going to be a lot better yeah. for you because you're going to find truth. And that's what yeah. you need. You're going to find truth. You're going to find the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're going to find mm-hmm. peace in your salvation. You're going to know. And then the other thing, just like um, who was a brewer, I think, that became a Christian while having conversations, mm-hmm. you know, I think of, you know, mm-hmm. other people like Lee Strobel who did yeah. research into, okay, I, you know, his, his wife was a Christian. I'm going to prove God is wrong. I'm going to prove that she, right. you know, is a wacko. And through his research, he came to find Jesus, you know. And you think of all yeah. these other people that set out, you know, they're well staunched in their beliefs and they set out to disprove God. They set out to dis, you know, yeah. prove Jesus. Yeah. You think of Nabil Koresh, yeah. the, uh, the Muslim who, yeah. you know, was uh, seeking all of finding Jesus. You know, he was going out there and lo and behold, hey, Here's Jesus popping up, you know, and um, all of a sudden it's like, you know, who is this guy? And then, you know, boom, he changes and starts to believe. And so if we allow ourselves to do the research, to do the checking, to open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will be guided in the right direction. And in the end, all we have to do, like you've mentioned many times, like the Bible talks about, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. That's exactly right, Song. I'll tell you what, I I hope that any of the listeners today who would like to maybe hear some more testimonies, powerful testimonies, of in this case, uh, Jewish people who come to meet uh, Yeshua, who come to meet Jesus as their Messiah, um, go to a website that's uh, called One for Israel. And it's written out, the word's written out, uh, O-N-E, One for Israel. And you can pull up a whole host of powerful video testimonies of, of Jewish people. I mean, these are so profound. Um, they're so sincere. Um, I mean, the, just listen to what led these now Messianic Jews, meaning, um, you know, they're, they're, they're still obviously uh, Jewish, um, but they're also believers in Jesus. Um, they now know the Lord. So one for Israel, and I'll tell you, those are some powerful videos. They're doing an amazing work. In fact, in Israel, in fact, I was just listening to a, a, a talk by a guy who works for them, son, and he was, he was quoting how many millions of views um, their, uh, their videos have, something like maybe 10 million views in Israel. But, but the other thing I learned from him because uh, he was talking about reasons that Jewish people do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And um, I believe he said that there are nine uh, million, uh, nine million um, people living in Israel, 
And he, he pointed to a day, a number of decades ago, it might have been 50, 60, 70 years ago, where he said there were maybe like 30, um, maybe like 30 believers in Jesus in Israel. And today he said, uh, and it was like 0.000%, but, um, and it's still very, very small, but it has gone up a little bit. I think it's like maybe 0.03. I think it works out to about maybe 30,000, if I'm not mistaken, 30,000 uh, believers out of 9 million in Israel. So, so the vast majority of Jewish people today in Israel do not believe, but I guess one point he was making, Song, is there, there, there's been a lot of movement. I mean, there have been a lot of Jewish people who've come to know the Lord. Now, when you compare it to the total number uh, of Jews, I mean, it, it still is, is obviously small, but, but more and more Jewish people have come uh, to meet Christ. So one for Israel, and boy, you'll be, you'll be inspired by those testimonies. Dan Delzell with us each and every week as we talk about these things, as we maneuver the things of this world through a biblical perspective. And, and Dan, we appreciate you coming on. We thank you for your words today and for sharing this. And, you know, just a reminder that it doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter how much education we have, how much religious ideology, you know, where we believe in whatever it is, if we're not on the right track, the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and take us back to the right track. And if we're just not interested in it at all, but yet now maybe we're starting to have a little knocking, you know, on the heart, you know, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, um, you know, just be open to that. And if you don't know, just open yourself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, I love that son, because I think we always have to let people know that, uh, especially if they're starting to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, one of Satan's tricks is once a person is starting to come under conviction is that he then tries to lead a person to despair um, and, and, to, and to somehow think, well, it's hopeless. Look how terrible I am. You know, um, you know, what, what, what people can take away from our discussion today and from uh, the, the, the clear message of the New Testament, Son, is that no matter how badly you've blown it, OK, you haven't blown it any worse than Saul of Tarsus had blown it. I mean, he was, he was born into a Jewish family. He was one of God's chosen people, and he was out uh, participating and supporting the imprisonment and the killing of Christians. So, um, and God made him the most, you know, used and famous apostle um, and who wrote much of the New Testament. So don't believe the devil's lie when you come under conviction of your sin and, and the devil tries to tell you, well, hey, you're a hopeless case. No. Uh, none of us are a hopeless case. The only person who's a hopeless case is the one who breathes their last breath and does so without Jesus as their Savior, because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That would be the only time, my friend, it would be hopeless for you. If you leave this world without Jesus, then it will be hopeless, because it'll be too late to repent, too late to be saved, too late to get into heaven. But right now, there is hope. And, and so let the Holy Spirit, I mean, what I mean by that is don't resist the Holy Spirit. If, if you start to be convicted of your sin, that's a good thing. You want that, whether you realize it or not. You need that. It would be like if there was a poison in your body, okay? Or if you had some terrible disease and you didn't know it. You need to know it. It needs to be diagnosed in order for you to seek the cure. So let the conviction of sin go deep within you, but then um, just take a hold of Jesus' hand. 
as he's reaching for you the way um, he did for Peter when Peter was sinking in the water, and and you'll be lifted up above that spirit of condemnation that you and I deserve. You'll be lifted up to a place of grace and freedom and forgiveness. So today you can do that, my friend, um, and I hope you do. And uh, and just keep listening because uh, we're going to keep covering uh, these topics to help. Um, build build one another up in the faith, and so we're so glad today that you're listening to this discussion. Amen, Dan. Thanks so much. We appreciate it, and we look forward to those further discussions as uh, God allows and as 2022 uh, carries on. Oh, absolutely, son. I, I look forward to that as well. And for those of you listening, hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend if you need to uh, find or send them to a place, just send them to RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. And the podcast, Sanctified Reason, is there for them to listen to. Uh, Again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.